0: Well, God bless you, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Fruit of the Vine Ministries. My name is John Davison. You are just caught us in the beginning of our study on the book of Esther. Today we're on Esther chapter 2. We're understanding the bride of Christ in light of Esther. We're understanding who the king is, our king of kings and lord of lords, based on the pattern shown to us by King Ahasuerus. And we're going to understand what I call the protocol to intercession, This is Esther going before the king on behalf of the people, especially in these last days. This is going to help you understand the the understanding of Purim, what Purim is, what this means to you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ and to the church. Why this is so important for the last days church to understand intercession and, and why this is so important for you to get involved with your king and what he's doing in these last days. If you haven't seen chapter 1, I encourage you to find chapter 1 here on the YouTube channel or wherever you're listening from, and also our introduction to this series. So this is chapter 2 of the book of Esther. I hope you're ready. God bless you. God bless you. This is going to be good. Esther chapter 2. After these things, as the rage of King Ahasuerus abated... So... It says here, he became mindful of Vashti, what she had done, and what was decreed against her. So, let me take you back to the Garden of Eden just for a moment. Let me take you back to the book of Genesis. God, listen, God created Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden, had perfect fellowship and relationship with them. God had this wonderful plan for mankind to be fruitful, to multiply. Remember, there was no sickness, there was no death, there was no disease, none of that existed in the garden, and so God made everything perfect. It was never his design for man to die, it was never his design for man to get sick, it was never his intent for for man to be full of sin and iniquity. Um, All the things you see today, thats not God's intention, and so that's where the church comes in, that's where the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But it's interesting that when I look at the book of Genesis where it says that God created Adam and Eve, it says that he was in relationship with them. And he told them specifically, he said, listen, of all the trees in the garden, you may eat, but in the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat of it, because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So the king had one protocol, one law that he gave Adam and Eve. That was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But, what ended up happening was, through the serpent's cunning, and through Eve's disobedience, uh, she ended up eating the fruit, and what ended up happening was, is first things first, man became defensive. Adam says that, it's that woman you gave me. So the first thing he does, the first thing, the first manifestation of sin in the world is self-preservation. Trying to preserve yourself, your feelings, how you feel, what you think of it. Well, you know, some people will say, well, well, I just feel like God is like this. Well, that's, that's you trying to build an idol in your mind of who God is instead of just saying this is who God says he is in his word. It's the law. It's the protocol. And so what happens here is the king in the book of Esther chapter 1 calls Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti does not come. She goes and she eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And guess what happens? Queen Vashti gets exiled from the presence of the king. What happens to Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve get exiled from the garden. Exiled from perfection. Exiled from her position of royalty. Exiled from her her position of, of, of being the queen, being intimate with God. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They lost that intimacy with God in the garden. And says, the king recalled what had happened. God says in the book of Genesis that, that he saw man and, it, and it, he was mournful that he made man. He was upset. He said, you know, this was not my intention for them. And, and now they've gone this way and they're hurting themselves. And it, and it hurts God when we're in sin. It hurts. God. It's not just a matter of, well, you're in sin. It's a matter of God loves you so much and it hurts him to see you in sin. God isn't just waiting. He's not just sitting there waiting to punish you with a stick. He doesn't have a spank you rod that he's just waiting, that he can't wait to put you over his lap. What he has is a broken heart for those that are lost. Jesus came came and he said, said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Lost from what? Lost from entering into God's presence. Lost from understanding who they were created for, what they were created for, and the love that they were destined for. And so Vashti lost her position of intimacy because she sinned, because she she neglected the king's decree. And it grieved the heart of the king. It grieves the heart of the father when there's sin in our lives. And so what ends up happening is the king says this. It says, So let the king's servants who attended him, verse 2 of chapter 2, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. Listen to this. Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. What is this like? What is this like? It says, the Apostle Paul says that, I want to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Get this. The letters that the Apostles wrote, the New Testament writings, he says, listen, I want to present you, the reason why I'm writing you these things, I want to present you as a pure virgin, spotless, without any wrinkle or blemish to your king, to King Jesus, when he returns. And so what's happening now is the king, Ahasuerus, is getting ready. The king is sending out messengers to bring forth to himself a new bride who is a virgin, who is spotless, and who will obey him and love him. What did Jesus do when he came? It says he came to seek and save that which is lost, but he died that God might present to himself as pure virgins his people. That he might set aside, sanctify a group of people by the washing of, 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 of water by the word, right? He wants you to be sanctified through and through. And so he sends Jesus, he cleanses you with his blood so that now you can come back into the presence of God as a pure virgin. But that's sometimes that's a process. Getting saved, yes, but sanctification, being set apart, being sanctified in every area of your life is a process that takes place. Let me show you what it says here in verse 3 of chapter 2. The king appointed officers in all the provinces, officers or let's say apostles maybe, maybe leaders, maybe mature individuals who knew the king's rules and how the king wanted things to be done. Check this out. Let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom so that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to the citadel of Susa. Now we talked about this in chapter in chapter 1. We talked about going into all the world and making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. He said, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you to do. That means if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're commanded to do the same things that Jesus commanded those original apostles and disciples to do. It's very clear in the word. And it says this, Let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of the kingdom so that he may gather all the beautiful young virgins to the citadel of Susa, to the harem under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch who is the ch- in charge of them. Listen to this. And let ointments and cosmetics be given to them. May the young women who please the king be queen instead of Vashti. An idea please the idea pleased the king, and so he acted accordingly. Well, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in, in Chapter Two as we get more towards the anointing as we get more towards the setting apart and the beautifying of the bride that takes place. But listen to what he says: he sends messengers that understand his will and what he 's looking for in a prince in, or in a princess in a, in a bride and a queen excuse me he 's sending messengers who know what he likes and he 's sending them to prepare the bride to become a queen. That can enter him, enter in him and, and, and enter his chambers and enter his presence. It's so important that you grasp this because this is your walk in Christ. This is who you're called to be in Christ. You need to be prepared for the return of your king. And then the story sort of dips off a bit in in verse five of chapter two. It says, Now in the citadel of Susa there was a certain Jew named Mordecai, the son of Jaar, the son of Shimael, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Now, this is where we're going we're to go into a little bit of understanding of why we're about to go into the spiritual warfare side of this story. We have a queen preparing. We have a bride preparing to enter into the presence of the king. But now we're going to enter into what, what the spiritual warfare of this story. The spiritual warfare that a believer goes through. I need you to get this picture here. Who is Mordecai? Where did he come from? Who is Kish? Who's Kish? He's a Benjamite from the tribe of Benjamin of the 12 12 tribes of Israel. Where do we hear about Kish? What do we know about Benjamin? What do we know about these individuals? What What do we understand here? Who else came from Kish? It's very important that we grab a hold of this. And so if we go to 1 Samuel chapter 9 and we'll start in verse 1. Now there was a man of Benjamin remember, the tribe of Benjamin, whose name was Kish. Here's Kish. The son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphiath and Benjamite, a mighty man of power. He had a son, whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a better looking man among the children of Israel, for his shoulders from his shoulders and up, he was taller than all the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, the father of Saul, were lost. So I'm going to encourage you to read chapter 9 and chapter 10, chapter 11 and chapter 12 of First Samuel. And I'm going to kind of sum this up just for the sake of getting back to Esther. Saul ends up looking for those donkeys, and he runs into a prophet named Samuel. At this point in time, the Israelites are petitioning Samuel to go to God looking for a king. Long story short, that king ends up being Samuel, or excuse me, Saul. That king ends up being Saul. King Saul is anointed from the tribe of Benjamin, who is the son of Kish. Who is Mordecai? Mordecai is a son of King Saul. What did King Saul do? What was King Saul called to do? I take you to 1 Samuel chapter 15. In verse six. King Saul said, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you will show kindness to all the children of Israel when they come up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Then Saul struck the Amalekites until until you come to Shur, which is near Egypt. He took Agag. The king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, oxen, fatlings and lambs, and all that was good. They were not willing to utterly destroy them, but everything they were they was destroyed and weak, they completely destroyed. So what's what ends up happening here? It says that the king, the king here, he decides upon what God tells him to do, he decides that he is going to go, and he's going to go to the Amalekites, and he is going to to kill them, as God told him to do. God told Saul to kill all of the Amalekites, and he actually didn't follow the instructions here. He actually didn't follow the instructions. He didn't destroy every single one of them. He left King Agag alive. Well, guess who comes from the line of King Agag? You're going to find out very soon. Because Haman, the enemy, and the adversary, which we talked about in the introduction of this, is actually very, very important to understand his lineage. Mordecai comes from King Saul. Haman comes from King Agag. He's an Amalekite. So now you have Mordecai being introduced to the story. Mordecai the Benjamite. And we'll go back into Haman once we hit more towards chapter 3, and you'll understand spiritual warfare a little better. And we'll understand how the intercession needs to take place in the church. Verse 6, Esther, chapter 2. He had been taken away from Jerusalem among the exiles, this is Mordecai, and carried into captivity along with King Jeconiah of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So how did Mordecai and, and Hadassah, how did the, how did uh, Esther and Mordecai end up actually in the province of Persia? Well, they were first carried away to Babylon, and then Persia, Persia actually took over Babylon. Pa- Persia actually beat Babylon. So we've got this whole thing going that says, He was the guardian of Hadassah, that is Esther, who was his uncle's daughter, because she had neither father nor mother. So she was, uh, uh she was a woman who was, who was born, and now all of a sudden she has someone being a caretaker to her. With no de- She doesn't have a descendant at this point because her father and mother are gone. And here comes Hadassah into the story, the Jewess. She comes into the story. Mordecai is taking care of her. Remember, they're both strangers, get this, strangers in a foreign land, in Persia. And it says this, The young woman was lovely to look at and beautiful in form. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And I'm going to jump through a couple of things here. I'm going to go to verse 9. Because the young lady appeared pleasing, check this, pleasing to him and had gained favor in his sight, he quickly gave her ointments and cosmetics. So we're going to go back into the ointments and the cosmetics. But first, let's jump back to verse 8. When the king's notice... And his decree was heard. Many young men, women were then gathered to the citadel of Susa and placed under the custody of the king's servant. Esther was likewise brought to the king's house and placed under the custody, who was in charge of the harem, Because the young lady appeared pleasing to him and had gained favor in his sight, he quickly gave her ornaments and cosmetics, her allotted food, and seven young chosen women from the king's palace. He also transferred her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Let me get this to you. Because she looked beautiful to the king's servant. Get this. Hear me now. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives. The Holy Spirit, listen, it's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's his it's his design to sanctify us, right? Get this. With ointments, right? cosmetics and ordaining us check this out where does our ordination come from it says that when we were saved we were sealed with we were we were we had the stamp placed on us what does that mean there's a mark upon us there's a mark of excellence now placed upon us the holy spirit now gives us and ordains us he 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 he, he puts ornaments on us he puts his seal on us and in us And he says, now you are beautiful before the king. You have gained favor before the king. You now can be ordained. You can have the oil placed on your head to go out into all the world. You can gain favor in the sight of your king depending on what you do with what you've been given in the heavenly spiritual realms. The king's servant chose the bride chose the virgin set her apart sealed her gained favor in her as as she worked with him and she'd said what do you want listen listen to this i'm going to go on this is so good because check out what happens you have to keep in mind what the holy spirit does in the life of a believer right esther's being set apart she's a virgin she's chosen she's getting she's getting ointments and oils placed on her at this point check it out Verse 10, Esther had not disclosed her people or her lineage because Mordecai had charged her not to disclose it. Every day, Mordecai walked around the courtyard of the Harem and found out how Esther farred and what might be done with her. Check this out, verse 12. The turn came for each young woman to go to King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women since this was the regular period of their beautifying. Six months with oil of myrrh, and six months was spices of ointment for the women. Then the young women went into the king in this way. She was given whatever she desired to take with her for the Hiram to take in the king's palace. In the evening she went in, and in the morning she returned to the second Hiram in custody, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She did not go into the king unless, again, unless the king delighted in her and called her by name. So get this. She's getting purified. She's getting set apart. A 6-month process is t- taking place now where all of her street clothes, all of her previous ways of life are being purged from her. And she's learning how to enter into the presence of the king. She gets a taste of the presence of the king. She may have, get this, as the as as the virgin she may have a taste of what it means to be in the presence of God, in the presence of the king. She'll have a taste of that. And as she purifies herself and becomes more pleasing in his sight, by the way she presents herself to him, she gains favor in the king's sight, and she gets asked more and more to come into the presence of the king. This is our walk with King Messiah. This is our walk with King Jesus. As we become more and more sanctified and set apart, He desires more and more and more to just whisper in it. We hear Him clearer every day. We start to hear Him in a way that we didn't hear Him before in the beginning. In the beginning, we saw signs, or maybe we saw wonders, maybe we saw healings, maybe we were healed, maybe God brought us through something. Maybe maybe we were in a broken place, and we ended up coming to Jesus, and now we've had this experience with Him, but now we don't know how to have that experience again on a constant 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week basis. Esther is showing this. The book of Esther is showing us, beloved, the book of Esther is showing us how we can be set apart, we become more pleasing in His sight, Listen, we're still saved, don't get me wrong, we're still saved, but I'm talking about sanctification and intimacy. I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about knowing Him and being known by Him and becoming spotless and anointed in His sight and walking in that without being defiled by the world and being defiled by our previous way of life because we've died to ourselves, we were crucified with Christ and now we're raised with Him. So listen to this. When the eunuch, or when the king's servant, turned and came from Esther, the daughter of Abahel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing, get this, she asked for nothing, I'm on verse 15, she asked for nothing except what the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Get this. As the bride of Christ... What did Jesus say? What does Scripture say? If we ask anything according to what? His will, it will be granted to us. What did Esther ask for? Esther asked specifically for only what the king's eunuch, the king's servant, knew would gain her favor in the presence of the king. When we go to the Holy Spirit and we say and we pray, when we pray according to God's will and we ask for what he wants. In other words, when God says it is my desire that you should be sanctified through and through. Are you praying, "Father, sanctify me through and through?" When he says, "I want to present you as a spotless, I want to be I want I want you to be presented as a pure virgin, spotless and blameless and set apart from the world." Are we praying, Father, set me apart, make me blameless and spotless and a pure virgin, right? So that I can enter your presence with a clear conscience, with an upright heart, Father. Or are we praying for carnal things? Are we saying, oh, Father, just give me a house. Oh, Father, you know, if you would just let my kid win on this soccer game, you know, I'll just worship you forever. And God's going, you know, listen, he might win the soccer game, but you're really not praying according to my will. And Esther knew that. Esther, Esther as the virgin getting ready to become the bride understood that praying according to the will of the father. She understood that, that, that seeking what the eunuch knew, seeking the eunuch about what the eunuch knew about what pleased the king would gain her a better position with the king when she went into his presence. I hope you caught what I'm saying here. This is not about salvation. This is specifically about relationship and pleasing your father and being in relationship with him. Now what ends up happening because she did this? Verse 16. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus at his royal house in the month of Tebath, which is in the tenth month in the seventh year of his reign. Check this out. Verse 17. The king loved Esther more, more than any other woman because she had gained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. The king held a great feast for all his officials and servants. And it was the feast for Esther. He remitted his provinces from paying taxes and gave gifts according to his royal generosity. Gaining favor with your king, King Jesus. Being intimate with Jesus, finding out what pleases King Jesus brings you into a position of the bride. It's not just getting saved, it's being his bride. It's being intimate, husband and wife. And as a man, it's it's it sounds weird to say that, but I am the bride of Jesus Christ. And one day he's going to hold a feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb for me. Before all of the provinces and all of the people, he's going to hold a feast for those who have sanctified and set themselves apart, who've walked according to his ways, who's followed and searched his heart, and who have loved the unlovable, the way he loves those that the world deems unlovable. So Esther gains this favor. She gains this position. And I want you to hear this. Verse 19, And the second gathering of the virgins, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not yet disclosed her lineage or her people, since Mordecai had so commanded her. Esther followed the command of Mordecai. During those days when Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thath and Terash, who served as keepers of the door, became angry and sought to attack King Ahasuerus. Listen to what's happening here. Listen to what's happening here. Spiritual warfare. When you come to Jesus, there's going to be spiritual warfare. Mordecai now, Mordecai now is dealing with spiritual warfare. The king's people, listen to this, the king's own commanders, the king's own people rebel against the king. What happened to Satan? Satan was one of God's closest angels. He was one of God's closest and most, and, and most, most aware of his presence, angels. But then all of a sudden, what happened? God creates man. See, God can be in man. God can't be in an angel. God can have a wedding with man. He cannot have a wedding with an angel. God can have intimate fellowship. Jesus said, You'll be in me as I am in the Father, and the Father shall be in you, and you shall be in me. What is this? What's happening? Intimate connection. Angels cannot have the intimate connection that humankind can have with God. Yet they cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. And they understand his holiness in a way that some of us in the church really don't even fathom or even consider. And so what happened is, is God creates man. Man is in the cool of the garden. Man is having fellowship with God. The angels get angry that they can't be that intimate with the Father. They rebel against the Father, and they get cast out from their position. Listen to what happens with Mordecai. During those days when Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, get this, king's gate, two of the king's servants, Big Thath and Teresh, who served as keepers of the door, became angry and sought to attack the king. But the matter became known to Mordecai, and he reported it to Queen Esther, and Esther reported it to the king in the name of Mordecai. When the matter was investigated and confirmed, both men were hanged on the gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Wait a minute. So now Queen Esther, as the queen, has a position of authority where she can go into the presence of the king and report rebellion against the king, and the king will deal with it. So we have a a, a small little taste of what it means to be in a position of the bride. That we have this relationship with the king where now we are finding darkness, right? We're finding darkness and we're exposing it because Jesus said that we are now the light of the world. In the next chapter, we're going to go deeper into spiritual warfare as the Bride of Christ. What it means to walk and understand spiritual warfare as His Bride. Into the time of intercession in chapter 4, and what that means to come before your King. You do not want to miss this. This will drastically impact your walk with King Jesus. So God bless you and thank you. I encourage you to watch the series before this, the, the previous And also, follow along in the next segment, chapter 3, of Esther, Protocol to Intercession. May God bless you and keep you in the love, admiration, reverence, and understanding of sanctification in the Spirit. And I bless you with the fullness of the Holy Spirit and awareness of His presence and how much He loves you. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen.